Hey, it's T. Frank, flying solo today on the BWI Daily Edition, but we still got a fun show. My five breakout candidates for 2023. Players on offense and defense that I think are poised to step up and take a bigger role in the team. Five through one, plus a couple honorable mentions. That's coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. Happy Friday in my casual flannel here, hanging out with you and me. That means we, that doesn't mean we can't have a good time. So we're going to get to the five players that I think have the chance to have a breakout season in 2023. Some of this is based off of my feelings and opinions, but for the most part, I try to base this off of opportunity and then production, um, maybe in some small sample sizes last year, because here's the reality. Nick Singleton's not having a breakout year. Uh, Abdul Carter already had his breakout season. Same thing with, uh, you know, other players that played meaningful snaps last season and performed really well. So Kalen King, like, we're not treading over those players, even though I think some of those guys can take a step forward and be maybe potential superstars in their roles next year. But we already know about them. Most people already know about them. So we're going to be going a little bit further down uh, the roster, um, some players maybe you've seen play before, maybe some guys that you haven't, and of course some names that you absolutely will know. We're going to start with some honorable mentions uh, because I think that these guys have the opportunity next year, but I haven't seen enough or I don't think we know enough just yet about uh, how they're going to fit into the defense. And the first one is Tyrese Mills. We literally didn't get to see him yesterday because of an injury. Uh, last year, excuse me, because of an injury. Um, he's now presumably going into this offseason fully at linebacker. That's where he's listed on the depth chart. So he will take uh, on that Jonathan Sutherland position wherever that lands him on the depth chart. And here's the problem with putting him on as a breakout candidate. As much as I liked his film from Lackawanna, playing uh, pass rush, he can pass rush, playing in coverage, run defense. He can do all the things from that Sam linebacker position. He's got a bigger body, too, than what Sutherland had at, at the Sam field backer when he was on the field. So all the things line up for him to be a contributor next year, except the fact that right now we're expecting Curtis Jacobs to play the Sam a good bit. And Dom DeLuca is going to be there as well. So the opportunity here, plus the the wide unknown of what he brings to the table, some very uh, limited exposure to what he can do. So we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves when it comes to um, when it comes to Tyrese Mills. But keep an eye on him. Be very interested to see how he does in spring practice. The next guy is a guy that was on and off the list. Well, I was putting it together, and that's Zaki Wheatley. There's some uncertainty about safety because it's kind of a wide-open room. There's a lot of good players there. He was in the rotation, but I just want to see in spring practice how they're going to divvy things up. Where does Keaton Ellis play? Does he take on that Tig Brown role? Because if he does, that changes some of the mathematics of, again, how many snaps, how much opportunity, uh, and how much competition is there going to be with some of the, the young guys that are returning to the roster. And then another great unknown here is uh, what happens with Jalen Reed. The injury is part of that conversation, but also does he move uh, to linebacker? Does he stay at safety? We'll have to see. So those two guys were starting off with honorable mention. And I want to mention before we get into the 
full list. If you would be so kind, please like the video and please subscribe to Blue White Illustrated on YouTube because, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, so we were, we were nearing 10,000 subscribers at the end of the season. I'm very excited about that. And uh, we haven't slowed down. The number of people watching has gone up. So welcome if you've been watching. Love to have you. Please consider subscribing because we are crawling towards 10,000 subscribers. I like round numbers. So please help us defeat the almighty algorithm by liking this video and getting it to more people. The almighty algorithm. We all have to play by the internet rules. So I appreciate you helping me out. Okay. Let's get into our top five players that I think are going to have a breakout season next year. Number five. So coming in at number five, somebody who we probably have had our eye on for a while, and I've really liked his potential since watching his high school film all the way back in the day, and that would be Kaziah Izzard, the defensive tackle for the Nittany Lions, who did not play for the first month of the season, but came back and uh, then began to flash game to game as a, I think, the perfect player in this Manny Diaz defense for the position he played last season. And here are some of the numbers in, in a smaller sample size, never started a game last year but three quarterback hits and a hurry in the rose bowl i think one area he needs to take a step forward in is consistent pass rush because when he came onto the field he was a lot of times the situational pass rusher didn't get as many run stops or run run snaps as he did pass pass uh, rushes but and this is what i'm talking about in terms of a perfect fit former defensive end in high school big body nine stops from week five until the end of the season, according to PFF. That led all defensive tackles during that time. And he didn't start a game. So when we talk about flashing and, and producing in small windows, Kaziah Izzard, this is why I'm excited about what he can do. He's athletic, he's big, and he can body through uh, you know, single blocks. He's too fast for you to reach him all the time. He's strong enough to stay at the point of attack. He can get better, for sure. Uh, but I really have liked how he has progressed from that uh, guy learning to play on the interior to this year, it seemed to really start to click for him down the stretch. Now, the reason he's not number five, I wanted to put him much higher on this list. It's the uncertainty at defensive tackle. Penn State tried to get a defensive tackle in the transfer portal, but they couldn't find what they were looking for, and they really couldn't get a whole bunch of guys on campus. To it, There weren't a lot of defensive tackles in the portal to begin with. So, when we take a look at the defensive tackles, Who's going to play where? Uh, if they want to play three technique, one technique, and I wrote a whole uh, roster reset at bluewhiteillustrated.com last week about this, explaining the different positions, what they do, and if Pensei wants to play that way, Izzard's the guy that makes the most sense to move over into P.J. Mustafer's role. He's got the biggest frame. He can probably gain another 10 pounds if you want him to play through double teams more and be that guy. But I don't think that's his game. He is a pure, to me, he's a pure three technique. Play, um, you know, in the gap, beat guards, be athletic, and win some of those more one-on-one -on -one individual matchups, more so than take on double teams and be a dominant guy that can stop the run and rush the passer from that one technique position. I just, I'm concerned that he's going to have to take one for the team and play that role. Uh, because the way that the, the roster sets up, 
the guys that could play that three or naturally would be Hakeem Beeman, who started there last year, and then Zane Durant, who should be a breakout candidate on this list. He should be an honorable mention, but for time, we left him off the list. That means Beeman and uh, Izzard would start together, and one of those guys got to play more against double teams than you'd like. And it's probably not going to be the dude that's been 260 pounds for most of his career. It's probably going to be the guy that's 290 pounds. So Penn State, if they get a defensive tackle in the portal, they got to find a guy who's more of that one technique. That And in this defense, the Manny Diaz defense, it doesn't matter as much because they move so much, but you can't stunt and slant and move every single play. Sometimes you do have to just line up and play the gap you're in. And last season, P.J. Mustafer was that guy. Um, they need to find somebody else to do that. And we'll see if they can. But that's why Kazai Izzard is number five. Because I think he's got the talent to have a breakout season in a position where Penn State has two or three guys that have that particular uh, profile. So he comes in at number five. Coming in at number four. Hold on. I almost, I almost did this to myself. Here we go. Number four. Now, Penn State fans don't get too excited here, but we're going with quarterback Drew Aller. Now, the reason that we're going to go with quarterback Drew Aller is eh, got to do a little bit with the guys ahead of him on this list, and we'll get to those guys in just a minute, but we're going to focus on Aller here. Um, the situation sets up pretty well for him next year. The offensive line should be pretty damn good. Uh, they have done enough at receiver, in my opinion, in the offseason, bringing in Malik McLean and Dante Cephas to provide a balanced and good receiving core. Not great, not exceptional, not the best we've seen um, in a long time, but Cephas brings qualities that you that you really like. McLean brings upside that you really like. And you have Keandre Lambert-Smith presumably moving into the slot, and that could free him up to be a more consistent playmaker Put a pin in that. We'll talk to him about that in a little bit. But that and the tight ends, the running game, it is a good situation that um, Aller is walking into. And this is also something I talked about earlier on, on the Daily Edition on the live show with Greg, um, or it was on, excuse me, on the Wednesday show, that I think I need to be a little bit more brave and a little less conservative when it comes to projecting success for these young quarterbacks because they've been here a year now. By the time we get through the middle of next season, it'll be almost two years that Drew Aller and Bo Perbula have been on campus. And and this is this this is projection that Drew Aller is going to be the starter with all due respect to Bo Perbula and uh, how that competition is going to unfold this spring. But we are assuming Drew Aller, the number two quarterback from, next, from last year, is going to be the guy. There, there's not a ton from last year that we can truthfully draw from and draw realistic conclusions about what Drew Aller is and isn't because came in in mop-up duty. You know, there's just different situations that don't produce the uh, consistent results you want. We do have some information, however, and the beginning of the year, I think, gave a little bit of a, a foreshadowing of what, he, what Drew Aller could become, but I don't know if it was indicative of what he was for the rest of the season. Now, he had some of those beautiful throws first two weeks of the season when he came in uh, against Purdue. Everyone remembers the throw to Tyler Warren that was dropped and then the two touchdowns against Ohio. Those were really good. After that, he kind of settled down and became game manager in the final uh, quarter of games. 
So what I tried to do is find situations that are actually, you know, we, we studied last year. And here are some of the statistics from PFF that I think are reasonable to take a look at. These are games in which he played at least 10 dropback pass snaps. So he's actually got 10 opportunities to throw the football. 242 yards, four touchdowns, a 62.5% completion percentage, and a pass rating of 112.7. These are not earth-shattering numbers. He didn't have like 10 touchdowns or anything like that. And half of those touchdowns came in the first game. But... These are good numbers. This is a good starting point. Um, operated the offense pretty well is how I would uh, suggest that he did last season. When he came in, he operated the offense well, and he was able to have success in those situations. Some of the things that were hot and cold last year, and you can go game by game and you can find different results, but I think play under pressure was one area that he uh, was a little hot and cold. Now, I'm encouraged by the, the good stuff, and that's why I'm, I'm willing to project some, some breakout success for him next year, is that in most of the games he played well under pressure, but there were times that he didn't look confident or comfortable when he sensed pressure, before the pressure even got there, by the way. So guys are blitzing from depth, he sees it, he rushes his throw a little bit. That's kind of the things I saw on film. But... When he was directly under pressure, either blitzed or not, he was able to, for the most part, avoid that pressure and either scramble or find somebody to throw the football to. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but for a freshman, you'll take that because there were no outright bad games that he played. And like we started this particular uh, player with, Aller is going to have the opportunity to not be the offense. He's not going to have to take everything on his shoulders and be the guy. There's enough players around him from the running game, play action, RPO. There are there are ways that they can take some of the mental tax off of him to give him some easier throws and confidence. But by the end of the season, I do think he has the opportunity with the players around him that he's going to be a, uh, a good quarterback. I don't know that we're going to do all Big Ten or all that stuff like that. We'll find that out. But Penn State should have the same level of success that they did this year with a brand new quarterback and maybe a little bit more. So for me, I consider that to be a breakout season. Number three. I have absolutely no data for this one. Uh, really, just nothing. Because we're going to go with Vega Yuane, the uh, guard that came from Washington late in the recruiting cycle in 2022. He is just different, man. You hear so much buzz about him as, a, as an athlete, and when you get to see him up close, he does not disappoint. In terms of size, a lot of guys have to get up to a certain size, right? They have to get up to 300 pounds. Vega is that size. He's just that big. There's, there's no having to get bigger. It's just he is 300 plus pounds. He is athletic. He moves on his feet well. He's quick. Um, he, the one stat I have for you, he played 40 total snaps last season. He did not allow a, a pressure in any of the plays that he was on the football field. So, um, good in pass protection, question mark? That's going to be something I want to see more of. As a run blocker, there are things he needs to improve upon from a technique standpoint. But in terms of the ability to run block, I, when I say that guys next year can't have a weakness in their game, they have to be good at everything, it's because guys like Vega that are down the depth chart have the potential to be that guy and I there's always one or two 
that I get irrationally and over the top excited about. And I'll Lan and Tangwall being the, the previous one. Apparently I just I love these guards that are that are super strong and big and fast and athletic and complete offensive linemen because you don't get those often. Like it is actually rare to find guys on the college level that have the ability to be both a good pass protector and a difference maker as a run blocker. And I think Penn State's got at least two of them on the inside. Now whether or not they can both hit, I'm I'm excited to watch Vega Iwane because I think he can be that guy. I think he can deliver at uh, a high level at some point in his career. And whether or not he's a starter next year, I do think we're going to be talking about him at some point as a part of the rotation because he's just so talented. And he didn't get to campus until the summer last year. So now, after a full season, this offseason in the weight training program, and spring football, I just I have a feeling it's going to be hard to keep him off the football field. So that is number three on our list because I Izzard, Drew Aller, Vega Yuane, and now coming in number two. Here we go. Number two. This is one that I he was on the list as an honorable mention. He was off the list, and then I had to think about it. And now I'm putting him at number two. It's Keandre Lambert-Smith. A breakout season in terms of yardage and and targets and all those things. I think that's why he's on this list for me. Because uh, he's set up to do that. Let's review some of the things we already know and we've talked about. Dante Cephas is not going to be on campus for winter or spring workouts. So the offense and what you're comfortable with. He's in his second year uh, in, in this offense. Sorry, the third year in this offense. So you, you have the opportunity for him to mature and, and become a more complete player. Most likely, he's moving into the slot. So he'll have the opportunity to get ready for that. He can play on the outside. And I, I don't want to say they're going to build the offense around him. But at the end of the season, after Parker Washington was injured, it didn't go well the first game against Rutgers. He just had a bad game, but he then rebounded. And here are the stats uh, that he put up after uh, that first game. And they're pretty good. 14 targets, 11 receptions, 216 yards to lead the team, two touchdowns, and a perfect perfect passer rating when targeted. Now, a lot of that has to do with Utah and the bowl game and, and just playing a bad defense against Michigan State. But... That takes away from the fact that he got behind those defenses and he made big plays. He's going to have to get bigger and stronger this offseason just to be a better football player. Like, he's needed that progression in his journey the entire time he's been at Penn State. So, he needs to put in the work this offseason. Even if he moves into the slot, you're going to face guys that can grab and pull and tug. And the Big Ten does not mind guys grabbing and pulling and tugging. Going back and watching some film today... Uh, they don't mind physicality. And you can't get away from it if you're in the slot or if you're out wide. You do have, though, the opportunity to get open at the catch point, especially against zone defenses. And just, I wanted to make sure we were correct about this. And so I went back over the last couple of years, excluding 2020, because that offense, I don't even know what it was in the end. But a Penn State offense, the slot receiver, how many times did he find himself in a contested catch situation where the defensive back is at the catch point with him when in the slot? Uh, KJ Hamler, about 10% of his uh, total targets. 
Parker Washington in 2021, 10%. And a 15% for Washington this past season in 2022. So it's it's not half of the time that you're getting contested catches in the slot. So it is significantly less. That should open the opportunity if he does move into the slot for him to play uh, a more open game of football. Uses athleticism on double moves get deep um, without as many restrictions. And and also, when you line up on the outside and you want to go deep, there's a couple, you can you can go to the inside, but really, like, just nine routes. That's that's the main way you can get deep, nine routes, posts, things like that. From the slot, there's a, there's a variety of different ways you can get open deep. So his ability to, to create those explosive plays from the interior of the receiving core while also having the flexibility to play on the outside, he should have a breakout season. This should be a guy that has the opportunity and the means to make it happen. Why I didn't want to put him on the list is just the uncertainty of new receivers coach. There's a new dynamic and um, his history of drops, which by the way, I went back and I looked at them. He dropped just under 8% of his passes last season. And I know that there's a lot of numbers here, and some people don't really care about the numbers, but they are indicative of of what happened, right? So it's not useless information. It's not. It's more than just drops with Lambert Smith. It's it's um, sometimes the you can't even target him because he's not open. But in those situations where he dropped a pass, right, eight percent is about average for college football. So he has improved in that area. So. Holding something against him from early in his career, uh, that's when breaking that tendency for ourselves of, yeah, well, he drops passes. He didn't really drop as many passes last season. It can be better, that's for sure, but 8% is not killing you. That's about where every receiver, if you average them all out, you get around 8%, 7%, somewhere in there. So it's not like that is going to be holding him back, and part of the conversation in my own head was, yeah, well, he drops the ball but he really doesn't. Okay, so the number one player that I'm predicting, and this is not a yes, no, or maybe, I believe this guy's gonna have a breakout season in 2023. Number one. We are gonna go with tight end Theo Johnson. Theo Johnson had uh, an exceptional second half of the season. Now, a lot of, uh, and I said this before, I think my analysis of the start of the season and how he perf- uh, how the offense in general performed is obscured by the fact he started the season with an injury that kept him out um, and and I think limited him for a good half of the season. But once he got on a roll and once Mike Yersich started to incorporate the tight end passing game, especially down the field in uh, in the offense, Theo Johnson became the most dangerous tight end in America. And that's not just me saying that. That is backed up by uh, the numbers, and the numbers to me are staggering. Let's get to those here now because they are uh, really impressive. Theo Johnson from week eight to the end of the season, his yards per catch at 16 and a half, number one in the nation among tight ends that had 20 targets during that time. His average depth of target was 13 yards down the field, so he is stretching the field vertically, attacking the center and the seams. That's that's what you want out of a six foot six tight end that runs a four five. It's actually here. He's producing it. His passer rating for week eight onward, when when Sean Clifford threw him the football, 
He had a passer rating of 158.3, which in the NFL, and, and you know, again, PFF, where these stats coming from, they, they do everything off of the NFL number, not off the college number, which makes no sense. That I don't think it even has a cap. But he had a perfect passer rating when targeted. That sort of tight end production, explosive, dangerous production down the center of the field, um, you can't play certain coverages. Like, teams would rotate into cover two or a two high look, and if Penn State saw it coming, they just run him over the middle, and they get a big play. The same thing, by the way, with with Tyler Warren had some of those plays down the stretch. So Penn State and Mike Yersich were surgical and merciless with the tight ends over the middle of the football field, and that should continue. Again, you've got a freshman quarterback who's a good deep ball thrower, and if you're going to design some plays for him, design him to the six foot six tight end that is huge and catches the ball really well. So, yeah, breakout season incoming for Theo Johnson. By the way, it's not just the um, it's not just the passing as a run blocker for the final month of the season, given the competition. But even then, into the Rose Bowl against a good uh, Utah defense, especially against the run. He was throwing key blocks. Uh, if you want to go back and check out my film study at bluewhiteillustrated.com of the Rose Bowl, his block was a key on the uh, Nick Singleton touchdown, the 80-plus yard touchdown. And that was against a defensive end. He was doing well during the final month of the season, blocking out in space, being a more commanding blocker down the field. Still struggles at times to set the edge, especially if Penn State wants to throw some crack blocks and get, get the running backs out into space. But when it comes to what he was doing... Overall, as a blocker, it was there. It was you see, he was starting to become that guy that he's the complete tight end. So I don't want to project that because I still want to see him do it again. Penn State tight ends the last two seasons have started really slow as run blockers. I don't know why it is, but it, there has been a point in the season that they start to get their stride. They start to get their sea legs. So maybe not the whole season, just based on the numbers and and the historical output. But as far as a receiver and a good enough blocker at tight end who's improving, it's breakout season for Theo Johnson. So that's our list. That's my list of the five breakout players for Penn State football. There are a lot. So who do you think is the breakout player for next year? Leave your opinion on the video. Leave it in the chat if you're still here on the video. And by the way, like, subscribe. And if you want to get on the uh, mailbag show coming up next week, Make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with your question in the comment. We'll get to that question on the mailbag show. So make sure you get that in. You don't have, you can do it anytime. You can leave it on any of the on any of the podcasts. You can do it now, Saturday, Sunday, uh, and we'll make sure to get it. You don't have to do it on the day of the mailbag. A lot of great stuff coming up here on the Blue White Illustrated Daily Edition. Make sure you subscribe. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We will be back on Monday. More recruiting news on the way. We'll talk to you then.